be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the good number that we have with us. We know that we, several are out of town and those who may be struggling with sickness that we are missing this morning, but we are thankful that you have several who are here. We have visitors with us and among us. We're especially grateful that you have chosen to come and to be with us this Lord's Day. The Old Testament, if we're honest with ourselves, can be kind of a strange place, can it? can be sort of a strange place to go and study and read. Sure, we know the stories of Adam and Eve and the creation. We know about the story of Noah's Ark. We know about Abraham and Isaac and Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. We know many of those stories that we have been raised on or that we have at least known collectively as, as a people that are referenced in uh, pop culture and things like that. Jonah and the great fish. We, we hear about those kinds of things. Maybe we hear people try to use those to show how the Bible is untrue or something like that. But sometimes we, we know those stories and how they are helpful and beneficial to us, but then we get to places like the book of Leviticus, where it's just all these laws about sacrifices that seem extremely strange to us, where you get instructions about how the blood has to be on the right earlobe and the right big thumb and the right big toe, and it's just, what does this have to do with anything for me as a Christian? We lose out on some of the practical stuff when we might go to a place like the book of Leviticus with all the instructions of the law of Moses and the sacrificial system, the priesthood, the dietary laws, and the important feast days. However, there is one thing that I think we all agree on, and that is what you have in the book of Romans and what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. When he says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through the perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope that as we read back to the Old Testament that there are lessons there for us. There is significance there for us that we need to look at, we need to think about it, we need to contemplate on it and meditate on those things. And we need to try to put whatever lessons we can pull from those texts of Scripture, as challenging as they might be sometimes, or as strange as they might be sometimes, we need to put those into our lives and application where we can. And one of the things that I think is important for us to realize as Christians, as we have the New Testament, that whenever if we want to accurately understand the Old Testament, we have to read backwards, if you will. That we have to go back to the Old Testament and we have to look through the lens of the New Testament. We have to look through the lens of Jesus Christ to help us understand some of the meaning there of the Old Testament. And one of the ways that we might do that is actually looking at some of the feast days that Israel would keep like Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we're going to look at this morning. And how that has a very important New Testament meaning for us and some implications that we are supposed to learn from what you see in the Old Testament. So we're going to consider that this Lord's Day. This morning we're going to consider the Feast 
of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread tonight, just a little sneak preview, we're going to be looking at the Feast of Weeks, or what we might call Pentecost. And so hope that you can come back to be with us at 5 p.m. this evening when we will look at that feast as well, sort of with the same goals in mind. But the Passover, it's probably one that we are familiar with. It's a very popular feast that is even observed by Jews today. It was observed on the 14th day of the first month of Abib, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread would begin on the 15th day, and it would continue for seven days. And when typically when we refer to the Passover, it's kind of used in uh, a term that would include both of those. And it would correspond to our calendar system in March or April, depending on how that might be counted. But what you have is Passover was one of the most significant feasts that the Jews would keep. It was a sacred observance that commemorated the climactic 10th plague in Egypt in the book of Exodus when God punished the Egyptians by killing all the firstborn and yet He passed over the firstborn of Israel. That whenever they would take the blood of the lamb that they had killed and prepared, they would take the blood and they would put it on the doorposts. Perhaps you remember that. Maybe you've seen uh, the Ten Commandments uh, with Charlton Heston. I'm sure that will be on uh, fairly soon. And so that is, uh, you can remember that they would put the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of the houses in Israel so that God might pass over that the uh, that their children, the firstborn, might live. The Israelites followed Moses' instructions that night. And so they would keep this feast as a commemoration each year, is what they were supposed to do. And the Israelites, they left hastily the next day. They remember they were supposed to get rid of the leaven so that they would be ready to leave, so that they uh, would be able to leave Egypt at a moment's notice. And all of these things, I think, help us understand that this was supposed to be very important for Israelites. And yet, as you read the, the Old Testament, it becomes abundantly clear that keeping the Passover is actually pretty rare, that, which might surprise many of us. Because you have its institution in the book of Exodus in chapter 12 and 13. And then in Numbers chapter 9, that this was a year later whenever the children of Israel were at Sinai, they observed the Passover for the second time. But then you have a 40-year hiatus whenever the children of Israel are in the wilderness as their punishment for uh, their disbelief and rejection and rebellion against God. They were unable to enter into the promised land in that first generation that left Egypt. And so you have a new generation that comes in. In the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 5, that's the next time that the children of Israel keep the Passover. For many of the Israelites, that was the first time that they had ever kept the Passover. And then you don't read about the observance of Passover until Hezekiah, many years later, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, and in Josiah's reign. 
And whenever you look at those verses, we're not going to take the time to do that this morning, but when you look at those verses, especially in 2 Chronicles in chapter 30 and in chapter 35, in particular with Josiah, it's like this was something that had never really been done, at least since David's day, the text implies. And that this is just something that is very rare. That this is just sort of abnormal that it would be kept in this kind of huge way. I'm not saying that Israel never kept the Passover, but that whenever they, whenever you have a text that shows and emphasizes that it does in the Old Testament, it's it's like this is a big momentous occasion. And Israel's observance after the Babylonian captivity, when Ezra and Nehemiah bring the children of Israel back into the land, the promised land, after the captivity, they keep the Passover. That these moments are huge occasions for the children of Israel, and it's often marked by the observance of Passover. But what lessons are there really for us to learn from Passover? Isn't this just something that the Jews would keep? That we are, as Christians, we don't keep the law of Moses. We're not expected to observe Passover, a feast of unleavened bread. Now this is, we're not proselytes. We're Christians, right? We're not Jews. We are people who would keep the Lord's Supper rather than Passover. And yes, that, those are all some true statements. But that doesn't mean that the Passover is insignificant and it holds no meaning for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in our text that we had in our reading this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and in verse 7, the Apostle Paul draws on the idea of Passover in his speaking about Jesus. And he says, "...clean out the old leaven." so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. And the way that Paul chooses to talk about Christ and His death and His sacrifice is in context of Passover. And that ought to signify something to us. That ought to help us understand that Passover is something that is used in a spiritual or in a symbolic way. That we have a Passover as Christians. That the New Testament is teaching us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the one who offered Himself as that sacrifice that was necessary for sin. And the unleavened bread... I believe of the Lord's Supper represents the perfect, sinless life of Jesus. If you turn to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke the 22nd chapter, in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus and His disciples, they begin to observe the Passover and keeping of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In Luke chapter 22 and in verse 1, 
Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And so you have the, the last couple of days of Jesus' life. It's in the middle of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's in Luke chapter 22 as you continue reading that Jesus begins to have uh, the Passover meal with His disciples. And He institutes the Lord's Supper in verse 7 and 8. Notice here He says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus said to Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And what I think is important for us to recognize here is that they had gotten rid of all the leaven out of the house at this point in time. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you were supposed to get rid of the leaven. You were supposed to get rid of the starter that you, you get rid of it all. You, you have to start all over. There's this cleaning of the house, if you will. Everything is removed. It's all taken out. And so you have nothing there. No leaven is to be in the house. And so he says uh, in verse 19, as they are partaking of the Lord's Supper, and he's instituting this, the symbolism behind that, it says, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so often in the Bible, more often than not, when you think about leaven, it is associated with sin or compromise or false teaching. In the book of Hosea, going back to the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 7 and in verse 4, this is Hosea's rebuke against the northern tribes of Israel. He says, They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by the baker who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. That here you have this association with leaven and this comparison to the spiritual adultery of God's people. That this is just not how God's people are supposed to, to behave. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus uses the, the connotation of leaven in association with hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Luke writes, in beginning here, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, and they were stepping on one another, He began saying to His disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus wants to warn His disciples of the teaching and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 9, as Paul has been writing this rebuke to the churches of Galatia for having turned away from the gospel and the truth, he says in verse 8, he says, This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. That it just takes a little bit of sin. It takes just a little bit of compromise to ruin and to permeate and to grow throughout the church. So that's what you have in this association with leaven. 
oftentimes in the, old, in the Bible. And then you think in contrast to the unleavened bread as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And if leaven is, has this association many times, not all the time, but many times. If you want to hear about the exception to that case, come back tonight. But in many times, leaven is associated with just evil and wickedness and compromise and sin and unfaithfulness to God. But as you partake of the Lord's Supper in that unleavened bread, it becomes a symbol of purity and perfection and sinlessness that we see embodied in Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ shows us what complete and total obedience looks like, doesn't it? In the life of Christ, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, I love what the Hebrew writer does here. As he takes these Old Testament passages and he begins applying them to Jesus as if Jesus is saying them. He essentially is kind of taking these Old Testament passages and inserting them into, uh, into the to the words of Jesus Himself, as if Jesus were saying it. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 5, He says, Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of Me, to do Your will, O God. That the Messiah, Jesus, is saying that the reason I have come to this earth is to do the will of God. If you continue on in verse 9 and through 10, He says, then He said, then he said and this is where the Hebrew writer gets, gives us a little bit of commentary, He says, then He said, behold, I have come to do Your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That when Jesus gave His life, it was the undoing of the Old Testament to fulfill the New Testament, to establish the New Covenant. And what you see is this example of perfect obedience that the whole reason that Jesus came was to do God's will. And when you talk about the body that was prepared for Christ, it's just another way of saying that this is Christ's life. It's His purpose. It's His mission of why He came. He came to do everything that God expected of Him and required of Him. Even going to the cross. And it was the body of Christ that bore our sins, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 24, Peter says, and He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by His wounds you were healed. In the beautiful description of Christ in Hebrews chapter 7, 
In Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That is who Jesus is. That is our high priest. And that is what has qualified Him to be that sacrifice for sins. Because He lived a sinless, perfect life of complete and total obedience to God. That when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember and we reflect on that. Just as whenever the Israelites would get rid of the leaven out of the house, we have unleavened bread that we partake of. And we reflect on the example of Jesus. And when we partake of that, it's symbolic of Jesus and His perfect life. And that unleavened bread, it reminds us of that perfect sinless life of Jesus. And it reminds us of what complete obedience requires. Sacrifice. And it reminds us that Jesus died for our sins so that we could have life everlasting. That's one of the lessons that we learn from the Passover. And then we also come to recognize that Jesus is our Passover lamb. As Paul would state in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 7, which we have read a couple of times already this morning, that Christ is our Passover. And you think about the context, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 7, whenever Paul says, clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover has also has been sacrificed. And here I don't think Paul is particularly having in mind a, a discussion about the Lord's Supper here. I think we need to, to step back a few verses and look at the broader context of what Paul is really trying to communicate. And that is, he is dealing here with the church at Corinth that was so involved in sexual immorality. In fact, they were so involved in it that there was someone who was sexually immoral who had their father's wife. And the church was just going along with it. And there was some arrogance about this. In verse 2, Paul says, You have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. That you should have been mourning over this. You shouldn't have been so arrogant about it. And think about that guy who's committing that kind of sexual immorality. Think about how arrogant he's going to be. He's getting away with it. And he doesn't have to have the shaming from the church. And there's tolerance. They're tolerating the sin in the church there at Corinth. In fact, you have some who are boasting. He says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Some were boasting about this. And then you have this correction that comes, out, comes up in verse 7. Clean out 
the old leaven. He's saying you need to prepare yourself, right? Just as Israel prepared for the observance of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread by getting rid of all that old leaven, getting rid of the starter, it's time to become something new and clean and pure. He's saying clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. Paul's point is that we are to be unleavened. That we are to be pure and holy. We're not to be tolerating sin. We're not to allow sexual immorality and sin into our life. Paul is saying you need to clean up business. You need to clean up and get your act together. And you need to clean out. The sinner needed to be disciplined, but also the whole church needed an attitude adjustment. The church needed to come back to being who they were supposed to be because Christ is your Passover. He gave His life. He shed His blood. He was that Passover lamb. So that your sins would be forgiven. So that your sins would not be held against you. That He shed His blood so that you could be new and holy. In Colossians chapter 1, In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says here to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 22, he says, Yet he, that is Christ, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That Christ gave His life to change you. That He gave His life, He shed His blood so that you are changed and transformed. That you no longer engage in the sins of your former life. Jesus died to change you so that you can be pure and holy. And we're supposed to be that way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and in verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That we are to accept and adopt the holiness of God, that we are to become like God, we're supposed to become like Christ. That He gave His life so that you can become that way. Putting away the sins of this world, the lust of the flesh, sexual immorality, putting that away. 
putting away corrupt speech, putting away lying, being people who tell the truth, being people who be keeping their word, being honest, people of integrity. In fact, what Peter goes on to say in chapter 2 and verse 24, the verse that we read a moment ago, how He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we are to die to sin. It's not to come back in our life any longer. Jesus sacrificed Himself so that He could transform you, not so that you could stay the same. And then a third thing that I think we learn from the New Testament's perspective on Passover is perhaps from a place that seems a little uh, subtle. In Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, and in verses 13 and 14, notice what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Maybe reading that, okay, that sounds really good, Sean. I'm glad we have that verse in there. That means that we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed. God has purchased us, right? We're God's people. Yes, it means all of that. But I think behind the scenes, if you will, there's another layer here that draws us back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And it centers around that idea of rescued or delivered, some translations might say. And the word redemption or redeem. Turn with me back to the book of Exodus and the Exodus story. In Exodus chapter 6, this is at the outset of what God is promising that He is going to do. He is telling Moses that I'm going to send these plagues and I'm going to release you from... Egyptian bondage that you're going to deliver them. You're going to bring them out of Egypt. It's in the context of all of that. He's talking about the judgments that He is going to bring upon Egypt and how the Egyptians are going to come to know and realize who God is. And in the book of Exodus in the 6th chapter, in Exodus chapter 6, and in verse 6, God speaking to Moses and He says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. You see those words, deliver or rescue and redeem. I think what Paul is doing, he's going back to the book of Exodus. He's seeing the whole story of the Exodus story and the Passover and all the significance there. 
And he's drawing on that and he uses that kind of language in Colossians chapter 1 to describe what God has done in Christ for us. That it's in Christ that we find deliverance. We find rescue from our sins. That we are no longer held and bound by sin. We're no longer in captivity. We're no longer in the, under the chains of Satan in His domain. That now we have been delivered. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Where there's freedom, where there's hope, where there's life. Where there's forgiveness. There's also redemption in Christ. There's redemption that we find in Him. That we are God's chosen people that He has redeemed through His Son. Through the blood of His Son. And in Christ there is salvation. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, early on in the book of Acts when the apostles are just beginning to preach and teach, Peter and John had been arrested. They stood before the Sanhedrin council. And in Acts 4 and verse 12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And it's in Christ that we have salvation. And as the, just as the Passover was a celebration of God's redemption and His deliverance and salvation... The celebration of Passover was also a reminder of God's covenant faithfulness. Remember that God had promised in the book of Genesis that He would bring His people into a land. In Genesis chapter 15, I think sometimes we may forget about this moment, but in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham that his descendants are going to be uh, in Egypt. That they're going to go down, they're going to be enslaved by a king, and that God is going to bring them out of that. And so whenever you think about Passover and its significance to the Jews, it was, a, it was highly significant because it was a reminder that God has been faithful to everything that He has said. To every promise that He has made. And I think the same thing is true for us. That when we think about Christ as our Passover lamb. We are impressed that God has fulfilled His promises to Abraham and to Israel through Jesus Christ that has led to the salvation of our souls. In the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 26, Paul writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. If you have come to believe in Christ, then you are believing what God has accomplished has been fulfilled. His Word and His promises have been fulfilled and completed through Jesus. And that you are Abraham's heir. When we think about Christ, our Passover lamb, we are humbled by God's care and His love for us. God is faithful. God is always there. He is always someone that we can turn to in times of distress, in times of trouble. Just as in the Exodus story, whenever Pharaoh was treating Israel harshly, the Israelites would cry out to God and God would hear. And He heard their cries. God hears you. He hears your cries. And when we are in sin, when we are crying out to God for forgiveness, He has given Christ our Passover. So while we do not keep the Jewish Passover, Jesus is the fulfillment He is the one who lived a perfect and sinless life, qualified to offer Himself as that sacrifice, that lamb without blemish, so that through His blood, we might have atonement, we might have forgiveness and salvation. And He secured salvation, deliverance, and redemption as part of God's plan that through His sacrifice, we may have life. We may be transformed. We may be changed. And have eternal life in heaven. Jesus is a reminder of the faithfulness of our God and Father in heaven. And these are all worthy things that we need to remember and celebrate and take joy in our own Passover. This morning, if you are not a child of God, Christ gave His life so that you could have redemption, that you could be forgiven of your sins, that you could become His child. The water is ready. And if you have faith in Christ, and if you're baptized, you can become a child of God, as we read about in Galatians chapter 3 that you can become an heir of Abraham through faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have made that commitment to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism, yet you've not been living that holy, pure life that you are supposed to, God's mercy and grace can be found if you would come confessing your sins, praying that God might forgive you. If you are subject to the invitation, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?